3: Dear How To, today I'm writing to you guys because quite frankly I'm lost. I've just came back from a family holiday and it was easily the most stressful week of my year so far. I have an emotional abusive dad and it makes spending time with him very difficult. The problem here is that he's still my dad and I would like to have a relationship with him.
1: Welcome to How To, I'm Carvo Wallace. Parent-child relationships are so wildly complicated. I mean, even the good ones are full of weird dynamics, subtle jabs, bizarre triggers. And when it's bad, like when it's really combative and rotten, it can be simply overwhelming. So, what do you do? How do you heal from a relationship that, in all honesty, dates back to before you were even born? Well, this is the problem faced by this week's listener, who we're calling Jay.
3: So, my relationship with my dad currently is like non existent. We have one family group chat that is essentially just my mom and my dad. That's kind of the only communication source I have with my dad.
1: But it wasn't always that way.
3: I was really close to my dad growing up. I was a little bit of a tomboy, which I think he really loved. So we used to go like cycling and swimming and all these sort of things together. And then I went to boarding school when I was 11 which I went to a ballet boarding school. uh, So that was predominantly female. And I think through that, I kind of really gained my like femininity and Mm
1: -hmm.
3: grew up. uh, And he then really struggled to kind of adjust to that.
1: Jay spent a few years in Canada for school and then moved to the UK where she now lives and works. Her parents remain in Thailand. But once a year, the three of them meet up for family vacation. And this year... Let's just say stuff came up.
3: We booked this tour to go to this garden. Then my dad wanted to go to this restaurant for lunch next door. But by the time it like opened and they were serving us food, we were going to be late for the tour. Um, and I mentioned, like, hey, uh, I think we're going to be late. And he essentially was like, don't worry about it. Like, I think I can get us in, like, I can talk my way into mm. this garden. And I was like, well, I don't know if we should assume that. It kind of just, like, really escalated. He then started, like, essentially just, like, shouting at me and saying stuff like, you're too British, you're, like, keeping on time too much, and bringing everything into the into the fight, but didn't really mm-hmm. into be a fight, and then... I cried, like I ran out of the restaurant and we essentially just didn't speak the whole vacation after that.
1: First of all, I'm so sorry that happened. I just feel like the kind of pain I experience when I get into a fight with someone I love, it's like the worst kind of psychic pain I know of. Obviously this fight is not about whether or not you're going to get into this garden, it's about other things. (laughs) And and so I guess I'm wondering what do you think is behind this um, tension?
3: So this might be like a really long story but when he grew up my grandma had this important job in the government and she was traveling loads and she really focused on her career so my dad was then raised by his grandma like southeast asian Mm old-fashioned and because he didn't receive parental love from a young age I don't think he knows how to give parental love Mm -hmm. also Like my mom and my dad are in a very difficult situation. They had separated and they're kind of back together, but they're still separated. It's really awkward and weird. So I think he's like losing a lot of really close people in his life right now, like his wife, and then I suppose like his only child. So I think a lot of it is like anger.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people would say like, well, listen, your dad is toxic. You need to cut him off and you just need to get on with your life. (laughs) What keeps you from doing that?
3: Like, it really, like, deeply hurts me to think that I have such a small unit and, like, I'm going to cut that down. If I can try to have a relationship with my dad, I would like to. Because I think, mm-hmm. you know, maybe when it's, like, too late, I'm really going to regret it. I also had this really weird dream where <laughs> I was, like, at my dad's funeral and I was talking to his dad his mystery because he he cheats on my mom and i was talking to he was talking i was talking to the person that he's cheating on my mom with and she was then like explaining everything from my dad's point of view like saying like oh you know oh he really wanted someone to like talk to and to love and all this stuff and i was like sobbing in my dream i was i was like shaking because i was crying so much and then i woke up and i was like i've got to (laughs) try you know wow
1: Could you describe what your ideal relationship with your dad would look like?
3: I think I just want to be able to, like, talk to him and have a conversation. And maybe, like, we won't ever be as close as when I was seven. And I'm okay with that. I think I would like to just have a relationship where if something goes wrong, I know I can call him. If something goes right, I know I can call him and celebrate and I want to just, like, be there for him, and I want us to just have casual conversations.
1: Is that even possible? And if so, how do you do it? Here to help Jay figure all this out is Nabarna Kanathasan, a psychotherapist who works across cultures and especially across generational divides.
4: Also very much interested in the research area as well about what happens when migration happens and different generation of cult at different spaces so this is really really interesting also I've had personal experiences of figuring that out and still figuring it out.
1: Nabarna sounds like literally the perfect person to help us so today on the show we're going to figure out how to have a healthy relationship with a parental figure especially if you're currently in a cycle where interactions are painful but you don't want to cut them off. Stick around. We're back. And you know, when I heard Jay's story, I started thinking about my own parenting. Like I have two kids right now, they're 18 and 20, but when they were teenagers, I started to realize this thing was happening in my own life where my own childhood wounds would show up in my relationships with them. Like the ways that I sought love or tried to compensate for feelings of inadequacy would be present when I was parenting. Like I'd make dinner for my kids and they'd be like, Dad, what is this? This sucks. And instead of just being like, okay, well, they didn't like it. I'll make something else, whatever. I would find myself feeling slighted and neglected in the same exact way that I did when I was a kid. It cut deep. It was like they don't recognize my value. Like they don't understand what I've done, you know? And it becomes really treacherous territory. I'm not saying I'm exactly like Jay's dad. But what I am saying is that it's worth examining not only our current relationships, but also our past relationships to figure out the root cause of our actions. And that is exactly what Nabarna is here to help us with.
4: I really like the way that you've spoken about dad is how you have thought about his intergenerational way of being loved or being cared about, which I think to me says that you, you care so much enough to actually write in and to think about how do you do reparative work if it can be done? You've had a different version of dad, it sounds like, when you were pre-seven. There was a close bond, and I'm wondering what it was like for you both when you then went to ballet boarding school and came back. What was that time like?
3: It was a difficult time. I mean, I loved, like, my friends. If we cut ballet out, I had a fantastic time. But my parents were also struggling with the absence of me.
1: What do you think is behind that? Why are these intergenerational relationships so complex and why are specifically our relationships with our parents so complicated?
4: Mm, Big question, but I think (laughs) one one of the biggest thing is time and space. I think there's a generational different understanding of let's just use boundaries because I think it's a buzzword all over the therapy world and all over um, social media as well how parents might understand boundaries is completely different to the way that we would have learned boundaries and so i think one is how time evolves and then there's subtle nuances about how we understand what a family narrative should be or different ways of also being in families that i think in south east asia and from south asia there's a collectivist space as well In most parts of the world actually if we're thinking about people of color there's this sense of having a collective, it's a family unit, and we do everything is for the well-being of the family. And then I think when we're educated in a Eurocentric or Western way, we're taught individualistic values. And I think they start conflicting and jarring and you can't, and this is why I think some children then start to code switch and learn how to be in school and Mm -hmm. their social settings, and then another way at home. But at one point, when children become adults, their relationship with their parents change because they can't code switch anymore. They've fully formed into their identity. And Mm. I think depending on parents' emotional capacity, if they're working completely to put food on the table, they're not going to want to sit down and say, tell me about your feelings. And I think when someone is ready to talk about their feelings, it can feel really hard for both parties. I never really thought of like the cultural
3: difference as being a key factor. But I think now that you pointed out, there's such um, an emphasis on like older people, the elders having more respect in the Southeast Asian communities. And also this thing of like when you grow up and you get work, you
4: help your parents out. And that's like the first thing you do. And I think that's quite interesting because then the roles start switching and it gets a bit blurry because who's the adult, who's the child, even if it's an adult (laughs) child, right?
1: Yeah. So here's our first insight. It's probably obvious, but worth noting again that individual relationships are very much affected by community and culture. It can manifest in things like the expectations that people have of their children, the type of respect a person is supposed to receive as an elder, even in a sense of duty. And when people have different community and cultural influences from one another, well then conflicts are gonna arise.
4: My parents migrated from Sri Lanka to Germany and then I was born in Germany and then we moved to the UK. So there was a whole sloshing about that happened. But I think the cultural values are very rooted in sort of South Asian collective thinking and around, I think, survival as well. And I think, Jay, as you were speaking a little bit about the role shifts after a while to sort of provide or to support the family system or even look after the family system happened quite early on. And I think hearing your story as well, Jay, made me think a little bit about growing up, especially as a teenager, I struggled a little bit with the academic pressure and trying to sort of figure out where do where do I listen to my parents and then where am I helping them out with bills or mortgages or trying to translate and so the boundaries I guess were really blurred as I was growing up and it wasn't until my late 20s that that stabilized there's at the same time Jay as you described your dad and understanding his intergenerational experiences of love and affection I think very similarly I appreciate my parents love or affection wasn't said out loud by their parents or their grandparents, they were quite big families. It was more through food. If you had a fight, you knew the fight was over because mm. food was suddenly here and everything's fine and it's <laughs> never spoken yeah. about.
1: I mean, we're all people of color who live in kind of non-POC spaces, like just mm. countries. And, you know, I live in America mm. and you guys... Are. And so I think a lot about this, the added kind of... Um, identity complexity of, if I am this person, does that mean that I still belong to the family that I came from? And I wonder how you Mm. coach people through that who are struggling with these identity issues within a larger cultural context.
4: Mm. I think one of the first thing is honoring the people that we're becoming because Mm. there's something around gut instincts and following hopes and dreams that's so important that that's all happened for a reason and honouring and accepting where we are at. Because I think sometimes that's hard when we don't have family validation to say, well done, go you, you're doing brilliant. And, And to be able to do that ourselves and starting there. And I think the other work is the parent work, which I think is the hardest. I think seeing them... As Sometimes one of the homeworks I set is to observe parents as strangers. If there are any other adults in the world, just watch them.
1: Okay, so here's our next insight. As kids, despite being around our parents all the time, we only really get to know them in a very specific and I would say limited context. But then as we grow, our point of view on our parents needs to shift. Just as we don't want to be seen as teenagers forever, they don't want to be seen as my parent forever. Like we have to learn to put that point of view aside in favor of another way of seeing them. As an adult, as a neighbor, as just a person in the world, a person in your community, someone outside of, well, outside of you. (laughs) It can help to depersonalize some of this behavior. And you can start small by really just observing how they interact with others. And another thing, even if your relationship with your parent is rocky, especially when it's rocky, it's important to try and get that love and validation that we need from other places.
4: And I guess this is where they say some friends are like family comes into such huge um, Mm. focus. If they're able to accept you the way that you are, how do you sort of start internalizing that and thinking about yourself in that way? And It is lonely work. I don't think I'm going to shy away from that at all and say that it's easy work because I think we're all wired to get that validation from caregivers. So when we don't have that, there is that big grieving process and acceptance. (laughs) And I think, Jay, you raised that really good point. Parents grow older and more fragile. And so then there's that guilt that kicks in of should I be building a better relationship? Should I be trying harder And I guess it—we can't bypass the, the anger, the grief, the part, everything that comes in with grief as well. Yeah, I think that's such a good point.
1: You know, some people I know in Korean community we call it chosen family, right? It's this idea that, like, if your parents can accept who you are and what you've become, then your chosen family becomes really important. They're not just your friends; they're actually people that that fill in for that community acceptance that you're not getting from the places that uh as Navarna says you're wired to get it and i wonder jay if you feel like you you have that
3: yeah 100 i'm so like incredibly lucky to have my chosen family in each continent like kind of really tiger friends and i was in north america and so lucky now that i live where i live now and i have like i live with my close close friends i have a big group of people who I feel incredibly like supported and and just like I feel really loved by them and when, when I was first asked like what your ideal relationship with your dad would be mm-hmm. I was like oh I would just want like to have a casual conversation with him but then I think I'm realising now that like what I would love <laughs> is <laughs> for him to just say like yeah like well done <laughs> mm-hmm. um Cause, I'm getting really emotional. Um, cause I feel like I haven't had the easiest journey, um, either. Like I really struggled with mental health and eating disordered mm-hmm. and I recovered throughout that. And now I feel like I'm actually doing really well, and mm-hmm. I really want my dad to like recognize that. I am doing well and I'm in in a better place. And, like, I'm ready to build a relationship with him. Mm -hmm.
1: We know what we've been through. Like, especially if you have moved from one cultural space to another, you've done that alone. Like, you know, we all have our stories, or many of us have our stories of, of ways that we left our family culture to go off and be in another place. And that was not easy. We were isolated. We... Maybe in some cases, we were attacked, we were ashamed, we were embarrassed, we struggled with things. And when we come back together with our families in our 20s and 30s, it is really painful that they can't see. Like we, like, I guess what I'm saying is like this point of view. Sometimes I think about myself and I'm like, dude, you've survived so much. Like you're doing <laughs> such a good job. Like, like you're such a badass. And then I go hang out with my family and they're just like, well, why are you so weird? Why do you do that? How can you do this? That's not how people are supposed to be. And that gap is so painful. <laughs> and I, I mean, I guess, is there a question there? It's like, how do you deal with that?
4: I think stabilizing in ourselves is the most important because every time we go back into a family environment, we're rehashing that wound. And so the, and it, it's gonna get more and more sore, right? If we just stick a plaster on it and if we look for different vices, that I think as Jay, you were speaking, it made me think that's one of the core, core needs of kids, all of us, that, that validation. And of course, as you were speaking, it made me think that's gonna be one of the most painful feelings to come to terms with of will my dad ever be proud of me will I ever hear it from him Mm -hmm. and I hope you do and I hope you do know that you're doing amazing (laughs) how amazing is it that you're able to say hey I need a little bit of help with this can we all think about it out loud Mm -hmm. and if that isn't a testament to how much you want to rebuild a relationship with him I don't know what is so I hope you do take that with you and I think this part is a little bit harder but is dad trying and in his own (laughs) special way of turning up to these holidays (laughs) is that him trying to connect but missing the mark each point when he's trying to say don't worry I've got this I can talk through the security at the garden space is that him in his way saying don't worry I've got you guys but it Mm -hmm. doesn't come across that way and so it's also how are we interpreting or how is he interpreting you and how are you interpreting him which it's a lot of emotional labor.
1: So that is a lot of emotional labor (laughs) and it does raise a few questions for me. First of all does Jay's dad want to repair the relationship too or is this just Jay by themselves doing everything? And what should Jay do if the labor is unbalanced? And perhaps most importantly of all, how can she do this work without getting hurt in the process? All of that after a break. We're back with psychologist Nabarna Kanatasan and Jay, who has a strained relationship with her father, but doesn't want to cut him off completely.
3: Do I now just kind of accept that we have this space and then rebuild this relationship that is like new and just surface level, but I can still have a conversation with him or is it like should I try to reduce the space between me and my dad and mm. and explain to him that like these are the ways that I try and I wanna know how you've been trying these years so we can, you know, like understand each other's um like love language and and actually communicate on the same track. Which felt more
4: breathable, which felt more lighter.
3: Um I think the first one would probably be the easiest but I I think cuz I still feel that like want of validation I think I that's why I want to go down the second route and say like this is how I'm trying and this is what I want how are
4: you trying and what do you want that makes sense and I think that's a fair assessment of the easier route as well one thing that I might caveat is how important It is for you to be as comfortable as you are in your place. And I'm glad that you said that you feel like you're in a good place. So then every time you open up that conversation with dad, where you're wanting a deeper connection, that if you walk away, you're still okay. It does need to be planned. And, you know, when are you both the most chilled out? Is it in... Are you both going cycling together for a little bit? Things that do connect you to sort of almost set up that conversation where you both will have your backs up and to make it as comfortable as possible and then timing it. We're just going to do it for an hour so that you know you can exit that conversation if it does get heated and it's just the hour or the 30 minutes. And then having your space to come back to and ground and anchor that you are okay. And I would say, always look after yourself first, and you can still do the work that way. It doesn't have to be so, so painful.
1: So I love this idea of looking after yourself first. And I hear it a lot in recovery spaces, therapy spaces, you know, put on your oxygen mask first before assisting others. But part of the reason that's so difficult with our families, with our parents or our children, is that we feel deeply responsible for them. Like somewhere deep in your system, you feel like looking after yourself first is a form of abandonment of the people who cared for you and sacrificed for you, who were there for you when no one else was. It's sticky stuff. But then I can't help but wonder how much of family fighting is just the outgrowth of people not being able to look after themselves first. Like how much anger and resentment and attachment comes from that? So it's necessary work. And if we've learned anything over and over on this show, it's that nothing productive happens when people are activated and angry. So no matter what's going on, it's probably best to step away from the conversation if you're triggered and revisit it later. Emphasis on the revisiting part.
3: That example of the restaurant, like, when it got really heated, I said, I'm willing to have this conversation with you and I would love to have this conversation with you, but in a private and, like, more calming space. But then that's the thing, like, we never, we never went back to it because he, I feel like he didn't say, okay, like, we'll come back to it. He just kind of kept, like, going at me. So then we never, we never went back to it. Mm.
1: You know, this raises a question that I've been thinking about this whole time, which is, like, sometimes we have tools that our parents don't. Or when we're in conflict with someone... And we are sort of, like, doing the right thing. The thing that we have, like, struggled and learned how to do. How to, like, calmly say, look, I, I'm feeling triggered right now and I need space. And we're in conflict with people who have no access to that. They're just like, well, then fuck you. And like and they're just off. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think this is an experience we can all relate to. And this is not to say that we're always perfect, but, like, it raises a question for me about how much empathy slash sympathy slash understanding are we supposed to be offering to people who are behaving in ways that are in fact toxic and we can understand that like that toxicity comes from a lack of tools unaddressed trauma and all these things and we can understand that we love people and yet if one of us has tools and the other doesn't then we may i think the fear is that we'll find ourselves always in the situation of like taking the high road taking the high road always making space for the other person's messiness and that becomes an abusive or challenging or difficult dynamic in and of itself I guess that's the question I'm asking is like is there such thing as like too much understanding too much calm too much like Mm. um, you know what I'm saying
4: yeah no absolutely because at one point we'll self combust because I think yeah that much giving it's it's not conducive to maybe the self-validation or the validation even that we want. That's probably not the kind of relationship that we're looking for with parents. I guess we're going a bit behavioural here and if we think about little kids, what we model is also then what they learn and sometimes with parents I've noticed, Mm -hmm. uh, especially working with sort of the second generation children who've migrated to setting the tone of saying, if you want access to me and if you want that family sort of unit space... This is how I like to be communicated through. Yeah, and I think
3: my my question would be, like, I understand and I'm willing to, like, learn more and try to understand more about the reasons behind his reactions and the, his relationship with me and, like, make him do the work. Um, and, like, to what extent is it just me trying to understand his action, but they're not going to change his actions.
4: That's such a fair point, because I think if people don't want to change, we we can't change them, essentially.
1: It's interesting, because I'm also thinking about how this feeling we have of wanting to be acknowledged um, by our parents for what we've done, And it occurs to me that I wonder if our parents feel the same way. Um, Like one of the things about that fight that you described at the restaurant is that it has to do with like him asserting that he can handle something. And then that being doubted and that being a trigger for him And I wonder if that brought up feelings of like, oh, you, I I can't believe I've, I've accomplished all this in my life. I've, I've raised you quote unquote, I've been able to earn enough money. I sent you to boarding school. I've done all this stuff. And you and here you with, you know, your 20, whatever years of life experience are doubting that I can manage a simple task, like getting into a, a garden.
3: It's so funny, Carl, because he like, it's almost like quote unquote, but part of the fight when he was at me was literally said, I fucking brought you up. I fucking yeah. sent you to boarding school, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, he, like quote <laughs> <laughs> unquote. Um, yeah. And I think maybe like what I'm realizing now as well, like that I all I've ever wanted was, like, acknowledgement. And maybe you're right, like, maybe all he's ever wanted was acknowledgement as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I suppose, because he's never really had that conversation with my grandma, um, you know, like, maybe I should say, like, you know, like, I am proud of you, Dad, for Mm. doing all the things that you've managed to, like, accomplish. Because he's accomplished loads in his life and -hmm. like, did really well.
1: Okay, so maybe that acknowledgement will be an opening for Jay. But still, where does that leave Jay and her dad? Like they don't have another family trip planned. And if they do have another in-person visit, I think it might be better to meet on Jay's own turf so that she can have more control over how the meetings begin and end. But since they're thousands of miles apart, It might be best to start with some neutral texts or maybe even a phone call just to find some common ground.
3: He's now kind of like a stranger. How do I start a conversation? Mm.
4: What do you both have in common now? I don't know what we have in common now. I
3: think we're both very interested in AI Mm. um, and... Love food. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it would be me kind of generating a lot of the momentum.
1: This strikes me as like one of the things people often complain about social media, but one of the interesting things I've observed in way, a way that it's helped us is that it often gives us like an opportunity to connect with people that we don't have any other way of connecting with them, like by sharing memes or articles or just interesting. Like, I have entire relationships with people that are just about like, oh, here's the Instagram reel I saw about this restaurant. Doesn't this look amazing? And sending, I mean, dads love information and articles. <laughs> I, I think that might be a universal thing. Dads love being like, oh, that's interesting. Like, just this, like anything that makes you say, oh, that's interesting. For some reason, dad dads love that. <laughs>
3: that. I think that's also like quite a low effort thing maybe I can, mm. I can do.
1: Okay, so here's our next insight. When you're trying to rebuild a relationship, start small. Just connect over things you have in common. It might be sharing memes or movies or songs or just articles that you know you'll both find interesting. It'll give you a neutral thing to talk about. But try to keep it a light lift. It shouldn't really be all on you. So this next question is could be a little tricky, but I I am thinking about, you know, we have a wide variety of listeners who are in a wide variety of situations, and obviously everyone is a has parents or had parents in some way, but a lot of people who listen are parents. And I'm wondering if you're a parent and you're listening and maybe you're recognizing some of yourself in Jay's dad. My question is like, what can that listener do to make amends, heal the relationship, etc.?
4: I think the first thing I'd say is to slow down If they're noticing that they're having a lot of heated conversations before they go, right, I'm going to fix this, perhaps taking some time to reflect on, as we've done today a little bit around history, where's that come from? Is that learnt behaviour from their parents or their grandparents? And are there certain situations or themes that bring up that reaction in them? And I think it's that self-awareness that will probably then, when you do go in to have a conversation, the, I think we all are a little bit aware of using I statements and saying, I feel this way, but tell me a little bit more about how it makes you feel. Mm. And everyone using, well, actually, mum, dad, caregiver, when you do this, it makes me feel suffocated or it makes me feel not good enough to take it away and maybe not respond straight away to say actually thank you for sharing that because I I imagine it's going to be painful for any parent to hear that that they're not doing a good enough job or it might be that there's something in the relationship that does need to change but I think Especially where parents are concerned, slowing it down and taking a little bit of the responsibility makes it a little bit easier because I think children, adult children, are often looking for their parents for answers and guidance. So there's no harm in slowing down to take time to do that work a little bit more intentionally. I don't know, Jay, if you would add anything to that or you, Carvel, because I guess <laughs> we've all experienced this in personal ways, which makes us all experts as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: what I would appreciate my dad to do is trying to understand me as an adult. I think Mm -hmm. letting go of, like, young Jay and, like, me as a child. And I think just not, not, I mean, you know, you don't need to learn everything about me, but I think trying to... Have an effort and just like have a conversation with me as as you would a friend, just to say, how was your day? How's work mm-hmm. going today? Mm-hmm. And I just want to do like a quick, a quick shout out to my mum. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. I think mean, that's why we've got such a great relationship because she's, and I think to our the parents listening, it's like we've got such a great relationship because she accepted like the changes throughout my life and um she's there as a friend now when i tell her that i went out on the weekend and i came back home at four she you know doesn't go oh you you should have got your eight hours sleep or anything she was like Mm -hmm. oh was that fun where did you go who did you go with and then Uh she would tell me about like her wine nights with the girls on a tuesday and now we have this like really special bond and i think yeah just letting go of the fact that they're still your kid but we can now also be your friend which is really nice
1: Mm, yeah this has been such a i mean for me this has been such a a great conversation like i've really gotten a lot out of this and i guess i want to ask jay was this was it helpful to you at all
3: extremely helpful thank you so much both um just like taking the time to to talk to me through this i think i've tried to understand things from his perspectives Mm
1: -hmm. maybe
3: what he needs from me is to not reject him and to also say i'm proud of him maybe that's how i can also like start to build the relationship and also knowing that like It's okay if I don't build the relationship back Mm because I also need to have some self-preservation.
4: Yeah, It's a habit of nature, Jay. I'm so aware that we went quite deep into your space and what you need for yourself. Bring yourself back because I think when we go into history and family, it just brings it all back like waves.
1: Yeah, and I, I also... One thing I thought of during the podcast that I'm not sure if I said it, but you actually your story of going away to boarding school really struck me. And I, I do want to acknowledge that you have accomplished a tremendous amount. And I do want to acknowledge that. And I just want you to hear at at least one person say that.
3: (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. That means a lot. Yeah.
1: And that goes for you too. I'm talking about you, our dear listener. I mean, I don't claim to know exactly what you've come through, but I have a pretty strong feeling that you have come through something. And I want to say that even if the people you want to don't recognize it, we do. And we're proud of you. Thanks to Jay for sharing their story with us and to Nabarna Kanathasan for all of her useful guidance. Do you have a relationship that needs healing? Send us a note at at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson, Kevin Bendis, and Jabari Butler produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. And I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening.